Hey everyone, this is Prashant and I'll be your host of VC10X Podcast and today we have Daniel Tarakoff with us. Daniel is a partner at Wine Ventures where they are investing in psychedelics and wellness. In this episode, we'll talk about what is psychedelics, the state of mental health, how can psychedelics help in mental health issues, regulation around psychedelics, public perception, is psychedelics a venture backable sector, how to think about investing in this space, the wine reciprocity pledge and lots more. So without wasting any time, let's dive straight in. Hey Daniel, so good to have you on the VC10X podcast. How are you doing? Hey Prashad, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And I found it very interesting what you're doing at Wine Ventures. So c- can you c- give us all a brief of what exactly are you trying to accomplish at Wine Ventures? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Vine is is an early stage fund. Um, we're focused on what we think are the two greatest problems um, facing mankind, which are mental health and aging. Um, out of our fund one, we really focused on that first piece of, of mental health um and you know a big focus of how we're addressing that is through investing in uh in psychedelics uh which is just one you know tool in the kind of toolkit to solve mental health but a really important one that's gone uh you know under the radar and unused in our society for the last several decades so um you know we're excited about investing in in the companies that are bringing them uh, back to people that Yeah, absolutely. And uh, mental health, like you mentioned, has been a major concern. And we are seeing a rise in the trend that more and more people are facing mental health issues. And uh, this was also exacerbated with the recent lockdown that we had because of COVID. So can you talk into how big of a problem is mental health becoming in a society? And it's kind of normalized. A lot of that is not often talked about as well. A lot of people are facing the issues, but not reporting. So the issues are still there. So can you talk about how psychedelics and practices like that can help uh, in this mental health issue that we're facing? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, mental health is it's a big issue in our society and it's it's been around for quite some time. But I think, um, you know, more recently it's been put in the spotlight, especially after COVID. Uh, it's been estimated that about, you know, one in five people experience mental health issues. Um, I think that's probably gone up with um, with uh, the pandemic and, and what that's brought to, to people. Um, you know, it's been a good thing that it's come to the spotlight because it's led to a lot more discussion, a lot more conversation about, you know, the different, you know, tools that we have to treat it. Um, but I think we're still a long ways off from, you know, making these tools accessible to, uh, people who need them. So, uh, with psychedelics, you know, it's a very different approach to mental health. Um, our kind of best offerings of mental health in the current world are, Often, you know, trial and erroring SSRIs, uh, the primary care physician might prescribe, and it's much more, um, you know, putting a bandaid on the symptom and not really treating the root cause. And the power that psychedelics have is that um, they can get you into, you know, altered states of consciousness where you're able to kind of see, you know, your situation from a different perspective um, and really, you know, have a new kind of tool to um, to deal with whatever your situation is. Um, and really kind of heal the root cause of, of what's causing those feelings or issues for you rather than just kind of, you know, continuing to um, subdue the bad feelings as they come up. Right, absolutely. And uh, f- uh, for maybe people who are not very familiar with what psychedelics is, can you uh, also give us a brief on what it is for the layman uh, and so that they also know that this is also a potential solution 
to their mental health issues. Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of psychedelics and a lot of different ways that people define, you know, what's considered a psychedelic. Um, you know, there's classical psychedelics. These are things like LSD, uh, psilocybin, uh, DMT, ibogaine, um, and there's other com- other kind of compounds that uh, al- also produce altered states of consciousness that some don't really consider psychedelics, but in terms of the purview of what Vine uh, looks at and considers uh, for investment, um, we do include them. Uh, which are things like MDMA uh, and ketamine as well. Um, they all have different mechanisms of action and work slightly differently and may be better suited for um, particular conditions, depending on what someone's dealing with. We have one compound might be better than than another. Um, but generally, they all create some sort of you know altered state of, of consciousness where you're able to um, really get to the root cause of, of what's causing you uh, mental health issues and, and kind of deal with that um, in a way that you might not be able to in a, in a state of sobriety. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's a great insight. And is it a practice that is only uh, or should only be undertaken uh, with a certified therapist or maybe a doctor in place? Or is it something that you can also use to self-medicate? So um, I won't prescribe how people use them. I think um, I think they can be done. They can be used in you know, a variety of different ways and different people use them in different ways. Some use them um, through the medical, you know, traditional medical system, um, such as ketamine, which is already, you know, legal in the U.S. for the treatment of depression. Um, and you can go into a ketamine clinic and, and have a prescribing physician administer the ketamine and uh, sit there and have the experience. Um, but there's been underground psychedelic work done for decades. It's, you know, psychedelics have been recreationally possible, uh, recreationally, sorry, uh, popular for decades. Um, these medicines have been used in some cases um, by indigenous communities for centuries. And so um, there's no, you know, one prescribed right way to use them. Um, but I do think it's important to call out that these are really powerful substances and um, not having the knowledge of you know, the impact that these can have, how they're working um, on your brain um, and, and what the experience is going to be like. Um, I wouldn't jump into something like this without really understanding what you're getting into. Um, and one other thing I'd call out is that, you know, we're still learning a ton about these substances. Um, but one of the things that, you know, we do know, uh, at least from uh, from the existing MDMA trials, which I'm, I'm happy to talk more about as well, uh, is that, uh, you know, MDMA and other psychedelics are tools that can help um, supplement existing therapeutic options. And so, um you know, for MDMA, for example, in the trials, you're not just given the drug and, you know, you just have the experience and go home. Uh, you're given it in tandem with um, with therapy, with a therapist present, um, discussing, you know, whatever comes up for you. And so it's not, you know, MDMA, it's MDMA-assisted therapy. Right, absolutely. And, uh, like, one thing that's will, that will be pivotal to the growth of this industry will be, the perception of how people view these drugs, right? Because uh, maybe a big part of the population still views these drugs as something that used for recreational activities and it's not something that you use for medication So, or they may be avoided that, okay, this is not something that I should be using, right? That avoidance factor is there. So uh, how do you think uh, can the industry tackle that? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, there's going to be, um, you know, a subset of people just like in, in the options I mentioned of how people may be using these compounds historically and today. 
Um, there's going to be a subset who are never going to be comfortable unless it's through a traditional kind of medical route. Um, and I think that that route is also going to be necessary to fully shift public perception and get these drugs to be scaled to, you know, the amount of people that, that really need them out there. Um, and so I think it's going to be, you know, a slow kind of transition, but we're seeing it happen already. Um, you know, it happens through narratives and through stories. A lot of uh, the public perception with MDMA in particular um, has shifted because of the um, the focus on veterans and treating PTSD. And so, um, you know, that's one tactic in public perception shifting is finding, um, you know, finding groups and patient populations who are really struggling, who, you know, there's no sort of uh, political debate around. It's just, you know, people who are in need and need help. And, um, you know, we find, you know, treatments that we can pair and, you know, effectively you know, help them resolve their PTSD symptoms. Um, you can move things along pretty quickly. I think you also see that happening um, outside of the traditional, you know, medical system too, um, but it doesn't hit, you know, as broad of a population. And so, for example, in Oregon, uh, at the start of this year, they legalized an, uh, a regulated adult use market for psilocybin. So um, as of January 2nd of this year, uh, if you go to Oregon, you can technically, you know, go to a service center and take psilocybin um, and you have to stay in the service center while you're, while you're tripping, but you don't actually need any diagnosis. Um, and in fact, it's, it's fully outside of the medical system. So it's not something that you would go to and say, Hey, I've you know, been diagnosed with, with PTSD or depression I'm coming here for treatment. It's just, you know, you going and paying, having experience. Um, I say technically, because as far as I know, the service centers, um, there's none that are actually operating yet. The law is in effect, but, um, all the licenses are kind of still being applied for. So expect probably, um, you won't see them operational until the summer, but certainly later this year, um, you're going to you know, start to see the first, you know, open psilocybin regulated adult use market. Absolutely. And uh, I believe when there are so many perceptions around a market like this one, uh, I think misconceptions are also there that play a part. So what do you think are the major misconceptions that people have about psychedelics that are not true or baseless uh, based on research? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a long-standing stigma that's existed for you know several decades from the war on drugs. You know, people think that you can lose your mind on psychedelics. They think that you're gonna you know take LSD and go jump out of a window. There's all these kind of tropes, um, and those are the same things that have pushed a lot of the science and research underground um, over the last several decades and really you know stopped the space from progressing. Uh, I think what we're seeing in reality when we look at the data clinical trials is that uh, you know some of these compounds are far more effective than existing treatment options and you know there's things to figure out and um, certainly risks that come with psychedelic use uh, but you know we've always been able to manage risks with new technologies and, and new solutions and when something has such a uh, an outsized impact for people who are in such immediate need for care um, it's obviously gained scientific attention um, and seems to be, you know, the time that we can really, you know, address those concerns and move forward, um, you know, being able to really, you know, reap the benefits that that these compounds can bring. Absolutely. And uh, is psychedelics may maybe a temporary solution that, okay, for a time being, you'll get uh, like relief in whatever issues that you're facing 
and then maybe after a period of time it can be months or some years then again you'll be back to normal is it that that you'll need to stick to that drug is that a requirement or is this actually treating it uh, from the very core so that you don't have to depend on it in the long run yeah it it again varies by compound but i think by and large the idea behind psychedelics is that you really can treat the root cause and not have to depend uh, on a drug that you're taking over and over again i mean to me that's what um you know the beauty is behind these compounds um a lot of people can get by uh that have depression today by taking an ssri and maybe they've had to try a few to find one that kind of works for them um, but often people report, you know, feeling a bit muted, feeling like, you know, they've kind of lost some of their um, their vigor and kind of emotional excitement behind behind their life. Um, you know, not everyone's case. SSRIs can be great for for many people, but it feels like, you know, psychedelics really have the opportunity to be something that someone can take, you know, one, two, three times and never have to take again. Um, you know, in the the MDMA trials um, that uh, you know an organization called MAPS that's been running these um, has been working on, uh, they've wrapped up their phase three trial already. They're they're heading toward um, FDA approval in in the first quarter of next year, um, and they found that uh, you know after three treatments of MDMA, people who um, had a PTSD diagnosis, uh, two thirds of them end up without the diagnosis after the three treatments, and that's persisted. Uh, six months following the study, uh, and it seems to be something that is able to be maintained. Um, you know, it might be something that you need maintenance doses for over time, but doing something maybe once, twice a year, rather than something that you have to take every day, um, is still a big improvement for where we're at today. Right, absolutely. And uh, there's also a space which uh, is wrapped with regulations as well. Uh, there are some drugs that are legal, some are not, uh, and that varies across different geographies. So can you talk us into uh, the regulation framework around psychedelics uh, in the United States and maybe in some other North American countries like Canada, maybe? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, North America is largely leading the way um, for the psychedelic space. Uh, Canada, um, several states in the U.S., um, Colorado, Oregon, California, a variety of others have now introduced different legislation efforts. I would say, you know, there's there's a couple of big big things to think about. You know, one is the medical route that we kind of talked about. And so in this route, psychedelics are no different from any other pharmaceutical compound that that you have to, you know, take through the process of getting approval by the US government. And so there's a governing body, it's called the FDA. They approve all drugs. You have to go through several different clinical trials to prove out the safety and efficacy of the drug, that it's not toxic, um, that it's actually effective. Uh, and you do this through these successive trials that get larger and um, over time and you know prove uh, at a bigger scale that that they're still working and that they don't have adverse effects either. And that's going to be the pathway that will really open up access because once you have FDA approval, um, you can start getting insurance coverage and the FDA considers these drugs to have an actual medical use, which means that the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, will reschedule uh, the drugs and not consider them to be, you know, schedule one, which basically means that they have no medical use and that they're controlled substances that are fully banned. And so the, the kind of progress that we're seeing there is, um, as I mentioned earlier, the, the organization maps, um, they've completed their confirmatory second phase three trial of MDMA earlier this year. Um, and that's expected to be applied to the, to the, uh, to the FDA for a new drug application. 
that would become legal starting in Q1 of next year. That's really the next psychedelic up up in in line to become, you know, fully legal. Um, besides ketamine, which is already you know legal in, in the U.S. for depression. Um, after that, you see psilocybin, which is being brought forward by several organizations, Compass Pathways, Sona Institute, Be More, um, and that's also going through FDA pathways. That's a little bit further, you know, down the road, um, not until a 25, 26 kind of time frame, um, but that's also going kind of the medical route. Outside of that, like I mentioned, there's other kind of states that are taking action. So Oregon, um, you know, despite not having FDA legalization of, of psilocybin, Oregon as a state has voted to make this accessible through this Adult Regulated Use Act. Um, that's, you know, currently in effect. Uh, I think by this summer, you'll be able to go there and, and access psilocybin treatment. Colorado passed a similar law that'll go into effect in 2024. Uh, and you see a lot of different efforts of a variety of, you know, different types of regulations, some decriminalization efforts in different cities that just make it a lower priority for police. Um, you know, some states that are focused on passing bills that allow for researchers to access and, and use the compounds, but not the general public. Um Canada, you see Alberta um, has has legalized um, uh, you know specific regulated use of, of uh, psychedelics um, that will again be through a specific program where doctors will have to prescribe them. But but yeah, you, you see a lot of movement, um, a lot of different approaches to movement, um, and a lot of these are going to be testing grounds to see you know how we can integrate psychedelics safely into into society. Yeah, absolutely, and. Uh, let's talk about the venture backability factor of this entire space. So venture is kind of a different, uh, works on different kind of metrics that you have, it has to be scalable kind of a company for it to be uh, venture backable. So do you think that uh, psychedelics has that kind of potential that it can produce outsized returns on the invested capital? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, th I think different pieces of, the the kind of psychedelic value chain um, are more venture scalable than others, um, but I think overall there's a ton of opportunity that's venture backable in the psychedelic sector. Um, you know, we look across the full value chain of the space, so uh, our investments go um, you know fully uh, upstream. This is your you know drug development kind of you know biotech approach, which is a lot of the companies that are developing drugs to. Uh, go through that FDA process, uh, but then fully, you know, downstream from there. So, uh, synthetic manufacturing, natural cultivation, different digital platforms that help aid in the care delivery process. Um, we look at delivery infrastructure, um, different you know, ketamine clinics, for example, psychedelic like, tourism, um, and then fully downstream, you've got uh, this kind of broad bucket that we'll look at, which is you know consumer products and. Uh, these could be things that are tangential to the psychedelic space, but generally have a theme of, um, of you know, solving for something in the in the general area of conscious health and well-being um, that psychedelics touch on as well. Of those areas, I would say you can really find you know venture scalable businesses across all of them, but the toughest one is uh, the delivery infrastructure space. Um, and it's been a space that we've largely stayed away from despite kind of, you know, keeping, keeping an eye on it because of that scalability issue. Um, opening and maintaining clinics uh, is just a really expensive business. Um, it doesn't scale very well uh, and has high costs of, of rent and labor 
um, and the uptake that um, that it would really need to you know be fully utilized or, or close to fully utilized to have you no know, profitable model um, is just not there yet. I think that that might change with the introduction of, of MDMA into the the picture, but um, currently as as just ketamine clinics, um, I think that those are those are tougher businesses to be venture scale. Absolutely, and uh, this is also a space that will also be on the target of big pharma companies. They will also be looking to innovate in the space and try to get their drugs out there. So do you think that uh, that competition of startups uh, with the big pharma companies and startups will be able to fight that battle and eventually win against the big pharma? Yeah, I don't view it so much as, as competition, largely because you know big pharma has, has ignored um, not just psychedelics, but, but broader you know um, CNS drug discovery for... Um, for several decades now, since the you know introduction of SSRIs, a lot of big pharma companies just fully shut down their programs targeting um, targeting neuro and in, in the mind. Uh, and so, I think that big pharma will be an inevitable partner to helping scale these things. Um, may even be you know the exit opportunity for a lot of these psychedelic startups that are developing drugs um, might be acquired by by big pharma companies at some point. Um, and so I, I would view it more as, as a partner or potential acquisition um, uh, partner rather than uh, an immediate competitor. Right, absolutely. And uh, what are the potential or key markets for psychedelics? Is it only mostly based in the mental health space or there are more implications? Of it? Yeah, you know, there's there's additional studies being done in a variety of, of different um, different indications. I would say... By and large, they're really tied to mental health in some way. Um, but you also see things like eating disorders, for example, and um, and pain, inflammation, um, being potential um, indications that could be treated by psychedelics. Um, they're probably tied to the mind in some way, and I think largely it's, it's you know all mental. Um, but uh, but yeah, we still don't know a lot. Um, we're learning and continuing to do more studies, so. Um, it's to be seen. Right, absolutely. And uh, while you're investing at Wine Ventures, uh, what are the kind of solutions that you're mostly looking at? And in those solutions, what are the traits you look at in those companies to see if you want to invest in them or not? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, we look across that full value chain. And, you know, I think in general, what we're looking for is anyone who's going to play a really key important role in making these these drugs more accessible to as many people um, as possible that need them. Um, that could be drug developers um, like Maps, for example. Something that you know we really like about Maps is that they truly, I mean, they're they have their hearts in this. They are they are people who have worked on um, on you know bringing psychedelics through. Um, while it was not popular to do so, they've, they've been a nonprofit that's been around for uh, over 35 years. And uh, while they faced battle after battle um, of you know people opposing the work that they've done, they've kept moving forward and have gotten largely in the psychedelic space, you know, where it is today uh, because of their work. Um, you know, given that experience, they also really understand the importance of how you run. Uh, the therapy aspect of the uh, of the MDMA assisted therapy, and so having you know real true knowledge of um, how to use these therapies effectively, um, because you're not going to get nearly the same uh, effect size as as you are with proper therapy uh, by just giving the drug to people. And so 
um, for people who are in the drug development space, people who really understand the compounds that they're that they're working on and who understand you know how they work and um, how you can effectively pair them with therapy to make them you know even more powerful. I think is something that we care about. Uh, people who are in it for the right reasons. Um, and then uh, another couple examples, you know, Cygen is another big uh, investment of ours. Uh, they're a synthetic manufacturer, one of the the first and largest uh, based in Canada. So um, this is just another one that, you know, makes sense, right? Um, regardless of, you know, how patent challenges work out as different companies try to take psychedelics through the FDA process and um, you know, maybe are doing so concurrently with others and running into potential legal battles. Does it really matter? Someone's going to have to make them at the end of the day. And so, um, you know, having an investment in kind of some of the infrastructure that's going to enable the space is also super important to us. Um, and then I would say, you know, another area that I wouldn't ignore is, um, is that last bucket I mentioned that the consumer products that aren't necessarily you know, specific to the psychedelic space, but that touch on that same theme of conscious health and well-being. And, you know, one example of an investment we've made there is in a company called Othership. Um, we led their Series A round recently, and, you know, they're a really interesting company. They have both a, a digital app that's a breathwork app, uh, and then they pair that with a physical space. So their first one's in Toronto. Uh, they're expanding soon to to New York and, and LA. Uh, but essentially, it's this new type of of space. It's a bit like a spa mixed with a Soho house, mixed with the workout class. Uh, there's nothing really quite like it. Uh, they have a large 40 person sauna, multiple ice baths. You can do hot cold therapy. They do breath work classes. They have DJs come in at night and do different events. Um, and it's, it's really about creating, curating this community of people who, uh, is just there to, uh, socialize and be around other people that are interested in bettering um, their emotional health and well-being. And they've created such an amazing community around what they've done. And you can just imagine, you know, that as mental health becomes more prevalent and becomes something people are talking about more, it's still kind of a slow bleed to get people to really take it seriously. And I think they're doing a really great job at creating a cool brand around um, building emotional resiliency, being excited about managing your mental health and your overall wellness. Um, and they, you know, as a result, attract a lot of people who, you know, happen to be psychonauts who who do a lot of psychedelics because they're you know open-minded people that are interested in that type of thinking. Um, and yeah, I think I think Othership's got a really interesting uh, approach and and could be a really interesting distribution channel uh, once once psychedelics um, are able to feed into that in a legal way. Those are an incredible set of companies uh, solving very uh, important problems. Uh, and now moving on to uh, another interesting concept that I came across on your website called. Uh, wine reciprocity pledge. Uh, so ca can you tell me more about this? Sure. Yeah. Um, it was really important to us to embed this pledge uh, from the beginning of, of launching Fund One. Um, so the pledge is that, you know, we donate fully half of GP profits um, that are made through, you know, the life of the fund. And so uh, this doesn't impact our LPs, you know, whatever investors come into the fund, they're paid out fully, you know, whatever whatever the fund makes. Uh, but whatever carried interest the GPs take home, um, at the end of the day, we we donate half of that. And the reason this was important to us uh, is the psychedelics world is a very unique industry that has really been shepherded by the work of a lot of different people. 
and different groups over, in some cases, centuries. Um, there's no other industry where nonprofits have such an outright influence in the development of the space. Um, I've talked about maps quite a bit on, on this podcast already and in this conversation. Uh, there's other really important organizations like USONA, BMORE, and, and a variety of others that are outside of the drug development world. Um, and it's a space that, you know, is now kind of at the, um, at the grips of, of capitalism, if you will. And now there's a bunch of money pouring in and it's got a lot of hype behind it, but it wasn't always that way. And there was people who really carried the torch to get it to where it is today. And we want to make sure that, um, that those people are, are compensated. And that includes, by the way, you know, indigenous communities that, um, have, have shepherded these medicines and used them for, uh, for centuries in, in many cases, um, all over the world. Uh, and so, uh, we we just want to recognize the important role that that a variety of groups has played and, and will continue to play, um, and and you know honor that not just with words but but with um, you know a share of of the profits that are going to be generated by this space. Yeah, absolutely love it. Uh, that and it shows goes on to show that you are in it for the mission and not just for the money, the business, that venture capitalists, and uh, you are doing it for the larger mission that there is. Uh, to like push push forward the psychedelic space and get it to the place it deserves, right? Uh, all right. So now moving on to our rapid fire round, then I'll ask you five quick questions about the fund, and you have to give five quick answers. Cool. Let's do it. All right. So the first one goes: What are the sectors and regions you invest in? We invest globally, um, but I'd say largely North America. What's the typical stage of investment? Early stage, pre-seed, seed. What's the typical check size you put in? Our average check size three hundred k. Where can founders apply in case there's direct way? Uh, you can email me, dt at vine.vc. Where, where can our listeners follow you? Uh, you can follow me on, on Twitter. It's uh, at dtarokoff, D-T-A-R-O-C-K-O-F-F. Um, or just, uh, yeah, hit me up by email and happy to, to uh, chat with anyone interested in the space. Absolutely. I'll make sure all this information is stayed in the show notes below so that our listeners can get there easily. Thanks so much for coming on uh, the podcast, Daniel, and enlightening us all on the psychedelic space and why it's an important one and where we can have a lot more developments and especially can help in the mental health issues that we are seeing across the world rise, uh, rising cases, right? So thank you for coming on and happy investing. Thanks, Prashant. Appreciate it. Pleasure.